Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. He said, did I invest in a side hustle or a venture back tech company. And he goes, it's fine. I'm not mad about it either way, but I'm not giving you any more of my time. If it's the former, I have too many other founders that are taking this seriously. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. Three, two, one. My name's Espri Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hello, everybody. I'm Ulvia Jaffarle, a data scientist in Italy. Although I'm living in Rome, originally I am from Azerbaijan. While thinking about how long it took for me to be a tech woman in the technology world, I felt the responsibility and desire to help other women as much as I can. Therefore, I developed the TechDevop platform to support others who want to achieve in technology. Because I believe women have ability to do great things. For us, sharing, helping, developing as one is the most important value. What I would like to emphasize is just do not afraid to fail, do not limit yourself with little success. Think bigger, learn, fail, repeat, experience, and reach the inaccessible. No matter how hard the challenge is, go for it. If not now, then when? To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Today's personal spot is about health. I know, so boring, so boring. But okay, so like most people during the pandemic, I pretty much chomped like Pac-Man my way through like all of the ice cream in the grocery store and all the cookies. My favorite cookies are those Trader Joe cookies with the big chocolate chunks and the sea salt. It's just like so good. And my body totally displayed how good all of those treats were. One day, I just, I don't know, something snapped and I just had enough of like torturing myself. I was tired and I was feeling like, ugh, you know? I started making sure I was drinking my athletic greens in the morning, which is like so grounding. I highly recommend athletic greens. Athletic greens has this vitamin DK thing. I didn't even know about it, but it's really great for immunity and um, your immune system. I started like exercising and using my aura ring to track how much calories I burn during the day, using a Wahoo heart rate monitor to track, 
you know, my main workouts like boxing or going for a run or yesterday went on a hike and just really aiming to having like a thousand calorie deficit a day so I could get back on track. And yo, I feel so much better. It's actually funny. It's like I've been gamifying it. I've been using my fitness pal to track my calories and I ate like my calories by one o'clock in the afternoon uh, yesterday for whatever reason. I just made sure to drink tea and not eat anything else like throughout the day. And I got sort of hungry, but not really. It was more emotional hunger that I used to have that I've had most of my life. And I'm so proud that I didn't cave and I just stuck to it and didn't break break it. And I woke up today and had my athletic greens in the morning and it was just, it's just so great. I'm so happy that I'm getting back on track again. So if you are feeling like I've been feeling where it's just like cookie land, I'm telling you my body, my energy, my spirit, everything feels so much better now that I'm like getting back into, uh, into like just taking care of myself. And, and you know, the, the, the craziness that I'm getting back into taking care of myself right around Thanksgiving meals and, and holiday meals and all this stuff, but I'm doing it. So I hope you're okay too. Anyway, enjoy the next episode. Bye. Women in Tech podcast celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Los Angeles. Welcome, Lex. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you on the show. To kick things off, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. It's always funny pretending that we didn't talk before. (laughs) It's true. Everybody, a little secret that we just talked for like 20 minutes and then I got into podcaster mode. So letting you in on the behind the scenes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I'm Lex. I'm uh, newly back in Los Angeles over the last year. And last November, I started a company called Peachy, which is aimed to really be patient advocates on the financial health side. We're starting with a payments platform to help people pay their medical bills easier. But really the the big picture is we want to be at the center of the healthcare payments ecosystem and stay away from insurance so that we can really help empower patients to access and afford healthcare as best as possible as the walls of traditional healthcare payments kind of start to fall down. Can we dive into this a little bit more? Because there's so many aspects about medical healthcare and finances and insurance. And like, let's start with who is this for? Yeah. So, I mean, on the, on the like business side, we're like a B2B to B to C company, but really who we're for is, you know, I had a medical bill for $144 go to collections in 2017 after my son was born. I don't remember ever getting the bill. We couldn't find the bill. I paid a ton of other bills during that time, (laughs) but one of them flipped through the cracks and it took me from 2017 to 2020 to get that medical bill removed from my credit report. And by the end of it, I never paid the $144 because nobody could tell me who to pay or who owned the bill or where this debt was living. I talked to nine collection agencies. And so I like truly started this company for myself. I was like this, if this this is happening to me. This is happening to other people. And the more people I talked to, the more I was like, oh, everyone has a paper bill on their desk somewhere of a medical bill that they keep meaning to pay and they can't figure out how to pay it. 
And it just became really clear that we don't pay for anything else the same way we pay for healthcare. Like anything else, you click a button, you type in your card number, whatever, the money goes from your account to their account and things are pretty seamless. Healthcare is so fragmented that like nobody can figure out how to streamline that process. And so really I built it like for all patients. You know, we constantly say built by patients for patients. We're we're a group of nine of us who have all in one way or another, like become very fed up with medical bills and have like set out to try to just make it a better patient experience. Okay. Just to understand the last thing you just said a little, are you saying that you had essentially like a ghost bill that you didn't even need to pay at all, but, but um, you also didn't know how to pay it? Well, so I never got the bill. The bill, the way I found out about the bill is yeah. I got an alert in Credit Karma that said I had a $144 bill um, go to collections. And I knew it was a medical bill because it was like, you know, metric health collections or something. Right. So I called those people and those people were like, oh, we don't own this bill. It hasn't been processed. Like, you know, someone will reach out to you. They asked me for an account number and a, a PIN number. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what bill this is. They were like, someone will reach out to you. They never did. And by the time I checked it again, it was owned by a different collection agency. I called them. Same wow. story. They gave me the phone number to who they had sold it to. I called those people. And then eventually I ended up back on the phone with the first person I talked to. And they were like, we'll submit it for a courtesy removal. Clearly you tried. But it goes into... Healthcare companies legally aren't allowed to give very much PHI to collection agencies. So that collection agency can't actually tell you what that bill is for. Right. Or where it originated. Yeah. And there's so there's just a lot of like logistical reasons that no one could tell me where this bill was. The frustrating thing is that they also wouldn't let me pay it. Like I had my card in my hand. Like I'll give you $144. I remember the last phone call I was on when the guy finally like just removed it from my credit report. He was like, well, did you try? And I was like, listen, I've tried everything. I would have paid every person I talked to today, $144, each of them. I would give you all $144 if you would just make this go away. And he was like, I literally don't have a way to accept your payment. We don't own this bill, but clearly you've tried. So I will just submit it for a courtesy removal. Um, And then I tweeted about that experience because I am addicted to Twitter and live on Twitter. And it blew up. And within two weeks, I had, you know, a bunch of phone calls with investors, healthcare CEOs that just all came through Twitter. I incorporated pretty quickly after that. And then I raised a couple million dollars over my Christmas break. And then what? I quit. And then I quit my job in January. <laughs> what? There's so much more to talk about. But before we get into all of that juicy stuff to talk about, so are you saying your technology helps so that? Nobody ever has to have this like mysterious one, like walk us through, you know, in an auditory way, like how can we visualize this not happening to us? How do do you intercept? Yeah. So right now, 94% of medical bills are still sent using paper bills, which is the root of the problem. And the majority of medical bills that end up in collections are under $200. So it's not that people can't afford to pay them. It's that they don't know that they exist. It's the leading reason people report not paying medical bills. $200,000 medical bill from a hospital stay is like a completely different problem that we're not touching here. But so what we do is we integrate with medical providers. And instead of them sending you a paper bill, we send a text message and an email on behalf of the doctor, you're able to see an itemized bill. So you can see exactly what you're paying for. Um, There's a 
pretty intense lack of transparency in medical bills and they're not super human friendly. So giving you an itemized bill, you can see what it's for. And then you don't have to download an app. You don't have to create an account. Um, you just have to verify your information to view the itemized bill or if you want to set up a payment plan. But you go in, you can pay with Apple Pay, PayPal, Google Pay, or type in your card number. And you can either pay in full or we automate payment plans on behalf of medical providers. Most medical providers are happy to offer payment plans. They just don't have a way to automate that process to auto bill huh. you every month. And they don't want the administrative overhead of having to call every month to get your card number and rebill you and let you know they're going to. So we automate that. We send out a text message ahead of time that says, hey, your card will be charged again tomorrow for you know whatever, your third payment. And uh, we also integrate with a lending buy now pay later option for healthcare. So if someone actually needs like additional time on top of that, or if the provider needs paid out in full, that's also available to them. And then we report positively to credit bureaus to help improve your credit score. So Peachy Pay, just to make sure I understand, integrates with the healthcare provider. Then the patient is then paying and handling all this via Peachy Pay, but the Peachy Pay was set up with the healthcare provider, right? Yep. So, yep. And because of that, we never hold any money. So you're never paying Peachy and then Peachy's paying the provider. The flow of funds still goes directly from patient to provider. We intercept a success fee along the way, but that way we don't end up with the same problem that we've seen with some other companies that have tried to do like a direct-to-patient approach without integrating with providers where the patient is like, hey, I already paid, but my provider is still saying they never got the money. And I'm still yeah. getting bills. So we've just solved that problem by being the full payment solution on the provider side. You had mentioned like, so you don't have to worry about insurance. What was that referring to? So we don't want to be a company that works with both insurance and patients. So we actually plug in after the insurance has been handled and you're left with the patient responsibility piece. Biggest reason there is we have seen companies over the last you know 20 years try to do both. They've tried to handle the claims process on the insurance side and then also collect from the patient. But those are such different experiences and you have to always appeal to the biggest stakeholder. And in healthcare, the biggest stakeholder will always be insurance. So as we're doing both, the patient experience suffers. So we have decided to just stay out of the insurance space altogether. We have partnerships with some companies that do handle the insurance side. So if one of our providers needs both, great. But we plug into that and it's not our it's not our bread and butter. It's not our product. Our product is, you know, the patient is the biggest stakeholder. I, I want to, of course, talk about how you raised it, especially how you raised over the holidays. But before even that, how did you even start? How did you even launch? Like, did you raise before you launched? Where were you? Like, what's that beginning journey? The first three months out, you write the tweet, the tweet goes viral. And then, yeah, <laughs> well, so it wasn't even that it was like a tweet. <laughs> the tweet was November 23rd of 2020. So a little less than a year ago. I incorporated like December 3rd after a couple of phone calls. It was just me. It, there was no product. There was no anything. And what did it, you use to incorporate? Um, a company called Gust. Ah, yes. They're great. Gust yeah. is amazing. Okay, I used cool. Gust. Um, and it was funny. I w was on like a late night call with another founder who I had met on Twitter. And he was like, Lex, you're smarter than me and have way more experience than me. And I did it. So I'm going to Venmo you $1,000 right now. And you're going to incorporate by tomorrow morning. And I was like, 
bro, I don't, it's not about the thousand dollars. I don't know that I want to start a company. Like this was just a little tweet. I tweet everything. I'm like, they're not supposed to turn into companies. I was just tweeting about being mad at a, a collection agency. And so he was like, just do it. And I did it. I was also a little frustrated. There was some spite that went into it. Basically some man who saw that tweet reached out to me and he was, he's a big shot investor. And he was like, make me the co-founder and I'll fund it. And I was like, and I was like, bro, I don't, I'm not looking for a co-founder. I'm not, I'm like, I don't have anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, I just feel like me and you maybe have different ideas of what I'm maybe someday going to build here. And he was like, you'll never be able to raise (gasps) VC money. I have text messages. I keep receipts. He said, you'll never be able to raise VC money. This could be a good project, but it's not a venture backable company. And I was like, well, watch me (laughs) just prove you wrong. I talked to the CEO of a medical company and he offered to put a check in. He's like, I'll wire you money. Send me your safe. So then I had to call a friend and ask her what a safe was. I was like, I don't know what's going on. And then, yeah, I just decided to do it. I let that guy put a check in. I let a couple other people from Twitter that were VCs put checks in. And then the the co-founder guy, the guy who was like, let me be your co-founder. He ended up coming back and being like, well, of course you can raise like an angel round. I'm talking institutional money. So then my goal was, okay, I have to get institutional money. So I did that. Um, but not through this person or through no, this person. No, 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 yeah. not through that person. F not that through, person. Yeah, we don't. We <laughs> that person still watches my Instagram stories. <laughs> He'll probably listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, so I kind of just did it out of like can't like I'm going to see if I can do this. I went to my boss in December. I was like, listen, over Christmas break, I'm going to try to raise two million dollars, and if it works, I have to quit my job in January. And he kind of laughed. It was an early stage startup, like a series A startup. And he was like, he kind of laughed because he was like, you can't just like go out and raise $2 million. You crazy. You don't have anything. And I was like, listen, I'll see you in January. We'll talk about it then. And then I did. I raised $2 million over my Christmas break. I took calls on Christmas. I took calls on Christmas Eve while I was wrapping my son's Christmas presents. And I went back to work in January and said, well, I raised $1.92 million. So I'm calling it good enough. I'm like, I'm calling it good enough. And we're going to just do this thing now. And that was January. My co-founder, who's actually my co-founder, I met him in February. He started like four days later. And now we're a team of 10 and are just, uh, we're like processing payments. We have customers like generating revenue. It's really wild. This is the, okay, wait, hold like, yo, first of all, best story ever. This is the craziest. Like, did you even know how to build a, a tech company, a tech product? Any? Did you have any experience? Like, how did you even know how to get into the building? Yeah. So I've worked in early stage startups for 10 years now, usually as the first design hire. So I've been around it. I've been in product discussion meetings. I've worked directly with CEOs, CTOs, founders of companies really closely. Did I have any idea what I was doing here? Absolutely not. But nobody does. And as soon as I realized that, it was just like game over. I was like, oh, this person's been doing it for 22 years. They have no idea what they're doing. So if all we're doing is everyone's waking up every day saying, I don't know what I'm doing. And then you just figure it out. Mm. Then it's like, I don't know. It didn't feel as daunting anymore. And there's still stuff that like 
some days I'm like, I was not cut out for this. The first person I had to let go, the first time I had to fire someone, I almost shut down the company. I was just, I would simply rather shut down a company with like, at that point, like $1.7 million still in the bank. I'm like, we're closing up shop. I can't do it. I can't do this phone call. And then I realized that's actually the point of raising money is those are the people you call. Those those are the people that I took my phone out and I called my investors. I have like three of them that when things are like really hard and I need someone to tell me like, you can do it. They're also operators. And so they're, they've been through it. And they talked to me exact, like through exactly what to do. And one of them was really mean. I'll never forget it. He was like, you need to do it today. And I was like, bro, I can't do it today. I got to think about it. And he was like, no hire fast, fire fast. And I was like, bro, I can't do it. Like I got to try. I was like, I got to give it a few weeks. Like I'm going to try to pull it together. I'm going to like rein it in. And he said, did I invest in a side hustle or a venture back tech company? And he goes, it's fine. I'm not mad about it either way, but I'm not giving you any more of my time. If it's the former, I have too many other founders that are taking this seriously. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I was like, you're right. I'm trying to put this person their needs and wants and whatever ahead of like the company as a whole. And that once I realized that's not what we're doing here, it changed everything. So you mean really mean in a good way? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think it really was direct. Like, it was yeah. really direct. It was, yeah. I cried yeah. and I wouldn't want more than like two of those people on my cap table. <laughs> like I'm, but I called that person specifically and I'll never forget when I pitched that person the first time I hung up the phone And I looked at my kid's dad and I was like, I want that guy on my cab table. He will push me to be the best. And that's exactly when I call that person, it's because I've like plateaued at something and I need someone to tell me like, Hey, no, you have to do more. You have to do better. And so I'm, I'm always happy to have like one or two, like kind of mean people. First of all, I totally agree with you that nobody knows what they're doing. And it's like, um, like everybody thinks everybody knows. And at the end of the day, nobody knows, which is really interesting when you find that out. But the other thing that everyone thinks is that you can't raise money over the holidays. So one, awesome that you did. Like awesome that you went out and you didn't let that hold you back. But how'd you know how to raise period and who to reach out to? Yeah, I didn't. I knew nothing. I think the first like big check we got in. It was one of the first checks we got in and it was big. (laughs) The way that happened is an ex of mine who lives in Chicago, basically my ex-boyfriend has like helped me every step of the way. My little brand before I was hot girl in tech was everyone's favorite ex-girlfriend. So he owns a company in Chicago. He reached out to me. He was like, Hey, listen, you should talk to this guy. He's a designer and now a VC, but they're really big into investing in design led companies. So I sent that guy a Twitter DM. We got on a call. I told him what I was working on. And he DM'd me on Twitter like two days later and was like, yeah, we'll put, you know, $250,000 in. Crazy. And then he, and then he is who introduced me to like everyone else. He was like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to write a blurb. I'm going to like, you got to get your deck a little better. What up? And I was like, I don't have time. I'm doing this all in two weeks. And really what it was is I just stacked as many calls as I could over two weeks. And I got a lot of no's. And honestly, I couldn't even really tell you the name of like anyone who told me no, because I was like immediately on another call. It was just like back to back calls. And you were like, thank you next. (laughs) Yeah. It was very, thank you next. I also had a list of four dream investors on a post-it note. And I looked at it every day and I was like, I want those four. I want those four. I want those four. 
three out of four of them I got. Stop it, Lex, I can't with you. Like, I can't handle your story. Like, what? One of them said no. And he came up to me at a party recently. I was in New York. He came up to me at a party. He doesn't even follow me on Twitter, first of all. And he said no to investing in my company. And he goes, you like my blonde hair? And I was like, yeah, man, I do. I also really love this guy, by the way. And he was like, thanks. I got your hair bleaching tips from one of our friends because I taught one of my friends how to bleach his own hair. And I was like, bro, you were the fourth one. You were the fourth person on the, you're the only person I didn't get. And you're bleaching your hair with my tips. Let me guess. You put a packet of sweet and low in your bleach. So it didn't burn. No one knows about that. I'm the only person who knows about that. I'm always like, are you going to change your mind? You can come back anytime. Say yes. Just so I can like check off the final box. Was it from your startup experience before? Like, how did you have like four in mind when you were new to this? Or was that something you were exposed to in your previous startup experience? There were four people I just kind of knew from Twitter. One of them was the CEO of a company who had asked me to come design for them once. And I said no. And then their company blew up. And I was like, well, that was embarrassing. I said no. (laughs) One of them was my dream job. And it was the only job I've ever gotten a no from after going through an interview process. And their CEO ended up investing. So I like to be like, Hey, you guys could have had me, but instead your your CEO had to invest. (laughs) You could have had me. I would have just come and designed at your little company. And then the other two, one is like a newsletter. He's the guy who said no. And now I'm blanking on who the fourth one even... Oh, and the fourth one was my mean investor. They're all operators. They're all people I followed on Twitter. And then I knew Angel invested. So one of the things you mentioned for a second was design. What was your core competency before becoming the founder of Peachy Pay? Yeah. So I'm a product designer and typically have been the first design hire at early stage companies. So I typically work with companies with under 10 people. And I'm like the first person to like design the product. That's not like an engineer who was just kind of like piecing it together as they went. Kind of that. But before that, I started... I started in front-end development. I moved into web strategy. I managed um, a Microsoft account at an advertising agency doing their like PPC stuff. I've kind of like moved across like all sorts of the startup experience, but primarily product design. And then a few years ago, I left tech altogether. I went through like a traumatic experience (laughs) with a boss and I left tech. I was done. I like actually logged off of Twitter for a little bit too, which never happens like a year (laughs) of my life. And I went back to school. I studied holistic health coaching. I worked with public school system around peer intervention. So students can intervene with other students around eating disorder recovery, helped build out health curriculums. And then I realized I had to come back to tech, like doing one-on-one work after being in tech for so long, you'll never hit the scale. I never was going to hit the scale I wanted to doing one-on-one work. Mm. So I came back to tech. And I think at that point, I knew I would start something I did not think it would be in like the payment space though. Yeah. I mean, there's so much about you that is fascinating. So when you were pitching, since you didn't have a product, what do you think was the main selling point that led to the yes? Was it pre-existing relationships and rapport building over Twitter or was it some metric that you shared? What was the like, yep, we feel confidence that you're the person to build this company that doesn't exist whatsoever and take it to where we believe it can go. Yeah, I think it was a few things and different investors have told me different things because yeah, it was I was the deck and a dream founder. I had no product, I had no team, I had no real experience. I mean like design experience is experience, but like 
I've never started a company. I was a first time founder. I also had not quit my job yet, which a lot of investors are hesitant about, but they were just like, I don't know, she's going to. I think the biggest thing is while I didn't have rapport with any of the people I pitched, I had never interacted with them. They all were people who followed me on Twitter. And so I remember one of my investors said to me, he was like, we knew you weren't going to disappear with our money. Like, that's it. We felt like we knew you because you're so transparent about everything else online that like, even though we didn't know each other, I felt like I knew you. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And I think because they saw that, they also had this like, innate belief that I would be able to recruit people to work for me. And I was actually, I was speaking last week in Vegas at Money 2020. And I was with this investor, not of mine, just an investor. And it was late. It was like three o'clock in the morning. And we're sitting at this bar with a bunch of people. And he was like, I've followed you on Twitter for a long time. And like, if I could give you one piece of advice, it would be to be less of a woman and also to get off of Twitter or not be on Twitter so much. And listen, by the end of the story, me and him are friends, but I was like, okay, well, that's not going to happen, first of all. And he was like, no, like it, it works in the beginning, but like, you're going to have to like grow up and like be a real CEO and like yada, yada. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But I will do that. If you can take out your phone and open up your email and pull up all of your investor updates from your portfolio founders, which plot twist, most of his don't actually send. I do. And I was like, and see what their biggest struggle is right now. And I was like, and you know innately what you don't actually take your phone out. You know what it is. I was like, no one can recruit right now. It's impossible to get engineers. It's impossible to get designers. It like people are fighting in the streets trying to recruit talent right now. And I was like, and I've never once even written a job posting. People email me. I just get emails from people that are like, please, I want to work with you. I want to work on this. I want to like whatever. Wow. And so I'm like, recruiting wasn't not hard for me. And then the third thing of why I think people invested without me having a product is the solution seemed so simple that they were like, there was very little to argue about. They were like, yes, I get my medical bills in the mail. Yes. It's super frustrating. Most people have had something go to collections from a bill that they didn't know about. And they were like, and yes, I'd rather like pay for my phone for this. And so what I don't think those, what I don't think my original investors actually knew was how hard it is to integrate into healthcare providers. And that's when my, my co-founder, that's his entire background. He spent like seven years at a startup as employee number three, all the way up to like a hundred building healthcare API integration. So by the time I found him, I was like, he was like, well, I told my wife I'd take a few months off work. And I was like, well, tell her that I'm going to make you my co-founder if you can start on Monday. And anyways, (laughs) he started on Monday and I'm obsessed with him. Did you Uh, find him on Twitter too? He DM'd me on Twitter and he said, what kind of product people are you looking for? That was the whole message. Because I said, I'm looking for product people. He said, what kind of product people are you looking for? I said, here's my number. Call me. Let's work something out. Let's talk. And he wasn't even really looking for a job. He had quit his job three days prior, was planning on taking a few months off, but thought he might be able to connect me with some people. And by the end of the phone call, I was like, you have, like, you have to come be my partner in this. And we didn't know each other. I picked my co-founder in one hour while I also had a list from like my actual investors who work in healthcare, who had created lists of people to interview. They were like, here's your co-founder. It's on this list. Just go find him. And I was like, bro, I don't know. PJ seems really tight. And he's, yeah, I mean, he's an expert at this. He's worked in healthcare, digital health for 13 or 14 years now. 
I mean, I feel like this is where actually that that second chapter of your life with holistic training came in because that's what being holistic is all about is yep. being really honing in on your intuition and your gut and making yep. intelligent decisions from a very mystical place. <laughs> I don't think people understand that. And I am definitely known as being like a little too woo woo, but like I, I log into astrology zone before like I make any decisions. I once stepped away from two term sheets, multi-million dollars, multi-million dollars because Susan Miller said it wasn't a good time to sign <laughs> contracts. And I already had a weird feeling about it. So I was like, well, between my weird feeling and Susan Miller saying not to do it this month, like we're just going to step away. And like, to this day, I am still so happy I made that decision. And we never ended up raising that round. We, I stepped away from a couple term sheets and I said, I'd rather build a product. And instead of going through that whole fiasco super early as like a proper seed round, yeah. we just went back to building product. And now our product is functional and working and we have customers and we're processing payments. We've onboarded five new customers this week, which in healthcare is insane. And I honestly don't think that would have happened if we had raised a big round a few months ago, because then I would have immediately been thrown into like fundraising distraction followed by mass hiring. Cause if you raise that kind of money, then they're like, okay, we'll now hire 20 more people. And right. I'm like, the reason we can move so fast is we're a team of 10. <gasps> okay. <laughs> Fascinating. I'm loving this. I usually don't talk about personal brand building because I'm like, meh, like it's just, uh, there's enough, <laughs> like, social media guru, blah, blah, blah is out there. But in your case, personal brand building, even unintentional brand building, and I want to get into this, has been vital in all of these relationships you've created. There are so many people that tell me Twitter, that's for, you know, whining or drama or this and that. And I know with Los Angeles tech specifically, Twitter right now is the hub of Los Angeles tech. Like if you want to know what's going on and connect with people, follow hashtag long LA, like that is the hub. And so Twitter, I think people are misunderstanding at least how Twitter's being used today. And to hear you've raised money, you've met your co-founder. I mean, you even got your, you pitched your idea to the internets, which led to all of this activity in the first place. All of it, the central point is your personal brand on Twitter. So we got to get into it. Like I can't yeah. not talk about it. So I'll ask the basic question that you hear everywhere, which is, should you intentionally be building a personal brand? Which I did puke in my mouth just a little bit even asking that, but let's just get over that question. Like, should you yeah. intentionally be building a personal brand? I mean, intentionally, I don't know. Like mine truly was accidental. I was just telling someone the story the other day. I think people think I've been hot girl in tech for like a very long time. Yeah. Um, and just for clarity, at hot girl, like, so at, at symbol hot girl in tech, that's how to follow Lex on Twitter. Yeah. Yes. But that was, so I've been on Twitter since 2011. I've been addicted to the internet since I was 12 years old. I like logged into the internet one time and truly don't think I've ever logged out. But part of that is I've always changed my handle on everything. My like super popular Tumblr blog, it always had a new name. My aim always changing. My Twitter account always changing. Instagram always changing because I liked to stay kind of anonymous. So nobody from my real life ever followed me on Twitter. I didn't actually know anyone on Twitter constantly changed my name. 
So when people are like, whoa, what was your handle before hot girl in tech? I'm always like, dude, I don't know. And they're like, you're lying. And I'm like, bro, I'm not lying. There were like 78 names before hot girl in tech. (laughs) And where hot girl in tech came from is last year, someone posted, it was like an early Stripe employee. Also, Peter Thiel has a new book. And apparently this story is in there, but they don't know that that's where I got my handle. Early Stripe employee tweets, you should never hire a hot girl before finding product market fit because she'll distract the engineers. So anyways, that week I was looking for a new handle. It was not supposed to stick. I changed it to hot girl in tech and then it stuck. Also during that time, I sold photos of my butt on the internet (laughs) to raise, to raise money for no kid hungry, because I was very sad about the kids who weren't going to get free lunch during COVID. So I changed my handle to hot girl in tech and I start selling photos of my butt on the internet. So if you wonder how all of the VC started following me in the first place, it was around that time. So <laughs> a few months later, <laughs> a few months later, my handle's still the same. Everyone is like, you shouldn't change it. And then I tweet about medical bills and then I raise around with the handle hot girl in tech. And now I now like I actually have had investors who have said they would put money in if I changed my name. And I've had other investors who have said, I will never put more money into this company if you change your name. And I find it to be hilarious how divisive people are about my Twitter handle. And if I could get the handle at Lex, which I have tried to buy off of her many times, I would change it. But without that, I think it's unfortunately has stuck. (laughs) I can't even like say anything because it's like there's so much going on in every single aspect of that story. I know when I saw when I saw your Twitter handle Hot Girl in Tech, like I didn't know how to perceive it. Like as a new person seeing yeah. it, it was hearing the story behind it, and even with the fundraising you did for kids, I'm just like. Like, I don't want to like get into it, into it, but in my head, I'm into it. Like, like I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like. That's such like an equally like hero story and sad story at the exact same time. It's just like, like, I'm so excited that you're winning and I'm so irritated of like the maybes of how you got to be winning (laughs) that you didn't even intend. It just kind of like, you know, like I have like, there's a lot of like subbing, subtweeting, whatever in my head. I truly have spent. So I I like to say that I'm a comedian and performance artist first and a CEO second. So I've lived my entire life, literally just trying to put myself in situations that end in good stories. Right. And I don't think I ever thought that it would get to the extent of like starting a company as a bit and then accidentally finding out I'm like really good at it. But that like, truly that's what happened. I was just like, yeah. I don't know. We're just going to like do this thing and see what happens. And, uh, it, it worked out, but it did start as like, I just want another like good story. And now I'm like, you're telling me this story is going to take like another seven to 10 years before I find the end. Like that's a long time, but <laughs> we're in it. Like she commits to the wow. bit. Wow. Wow. I'm absolutely blown away about every aspect. My favorite thing, I mean, there's so many favorite things about your story, but my favorite thing about your story is, is how authentic it is. Like it's, you truly do everything that you do because you hardcore believe in it and you're really authentic to yourself and you do your best to like, like not let any self-limiting beliefs or societal judgments get in the way of, of you just creating your life. 
Yeah. And I think that's pretty hard to do. I want to like, I want to, I'm bad at compliments. So I want to make a joke that it's actually just my birth chart that does all of this for me. Um, and maybe a little bit of like a family curse, but, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I try, I, I do, I do try to be authentic. I, it's worked out well for me so far. Apparently I'm like a kind of likable person. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. I, there's like so many directions I could go and I'm so wowed by your whole story that I don't know. Like a question I ask a lot of people and I'm just, I'm curious what it's been for you too, is what has been the best piece of advice that you've gotten throughout your, the entirety of your, your career? Because I mean, you've just made so many great moves. Like what's that piece of advice that like even superpowers you? I mean, I used to have a piece of advice that I, I would answer this question with that was like longstanding from like my first like real tech job on. But I feel like now that I work in healthcare, it's a little bit different. So now what I say, like the best piece of advice, it actually came from my co-founder when we were fundraising this last time. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. None of this feels right. This isn't, these aren't the people I wanted. Like it just feels off. And I was like, but if we don't close this round, even though we have the money, like we have it committed, we could, it's going to signal poorly and all of this stuff. And I'm in my head. I was so stressed. And he every day would go, Lex, there's no rules. We can do whatever you want to do. And to this day, like that, like gets me through most days. I'm like, there's no rules. Like it's startup land. Like we're all just making up new rules every day. It doesn't matter. And so I think that has been like the best piece of career advice. Um, but the one that I said before that is I was really stressed about this Microsoft project not launching on time and I was losing it. I was like 21 years old living in Seattle. I'd worked my ass off on this project with this team and a bug happened the day of launch and I was losing my mind. And my boss, the account manager actually came to me and he said, Lex, it is a website. Nobody's going to die. And honestly, like I needed to hear that that day. And now I'm kind of like, okay, well, if our shape does go wrong, like things, there's, there's a chain of command where something really bad could happen, like in this hypothetical world. But I think early in my career, I really needed that advice so that I was like not spiraling out of control every time something went sideways. And so I spent like nine years every time being like, I mean, no one's going to die. Like literally no one's going to die. My sister used to be a surgical tech in the emergency labor and delivery department. She used to stitch women up after having like preemie babies. Oh, wow. And she was like cool, calm and collected and like super chill every time we talked on the phone about her job. And I was just like, bro, what? How are you? <laughs> what are you? And meanwhile, I'm over here and I'm like, and my Excel crashed and like, I didn't get this report done. And I like, and, and they, they said they didn't, I couldn't go to the meeting because I didn't have a bra on and I don't know what's going on. And she was just like, yeah, I think the baby lived. Honestly, I didn't go back and check afterwards. Like I just assumed, like, that's not my job. I just take care of the mom. And I was like, okay, like we need to bring ourselves to that. So now most of the time I don't like overly freak out about things. I'm just like, it's a website. We're, we're going to be fine. I love both of those examples related to the no rules, something because you're so authentic and how you communicate online. And it's something that I do a lot. I'm a, I'm a very vulnerable leader and I constantly wonder 
and feel that I'm risking professional opportunities to choose to be vulnerable, to choose to be authentic online because I don't position myself as like Instagram photo filtered perfect, that I'm probably losing opportunities. How do you deal with that now that, you know, you're a leader with people's money? It's like so much pressure. How do you make those choices to continue to be authentic? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> anytime someone like brings up, like, are you going to sell this company or like IPO? I'm like, bro, do you think they would let me be the CEO of an IPO company? <laughs> like publicly traded companies have a lot of effing rules and I don't think I would remember them. <laughs> so, uh, at some point I think, yeah, we might miss out on some things, but I don't know. Like the truth is like I do. And I have like throughout my career, I have missed out on opportunities because of how I behave online. That is 100% true. I have no desire to change who I am online though. So it's like, is that an opportunity I want? Like, I don't know. Is the opportunity enough for me to want to be boring on the internet? Like, no, like my like favorite thing in the world is being unhinged online. Uh, And it works. Like yesterday I tweeted, which one of my investors is going to buy me an eight sleep for Christmas? I'm effing tired. And anyways, they're fighting over which one is going to send it to me. So I'm like, I could be more professional or I could get a free mattress. Like, I don't know. Like, we're just like out here doing our best. But I also think, you know, as unhinged or whatever as I am online or authentic or however you want to phrase it, if you went through like my entire internet history, there's like a common thread of like, I'm genuinely helpful to people and I stay very respectful. Um, and then I'm constantly kind of like rooting for the underdog. Like that's like the general themes of things that have like never really changed. Yeah. And I think because of that, people were like, okay, she's not really unhinged. This is just like part of like who she is online. But I also, I always saw my internet persona and me, IRL were very different. I had this belief. The thing is, is no one from my internet life had ever met me in real life. Like they were very separate. My IRL people, they're not on Twitter. They're, I don't know what they do. They (laughs) raise their families and like text me and sometimes FaceTime. And it wasn't until this last year that I realized like, okay, everyone I know in my life now, I basically know from the internet. Like I threw a party at my house this last weekend for a founder friend's birthday slash Halloween. And everyone there knew me from Twitter. And then they, they're they always like, you are the most similar online as you are in real life. And I'm like, this is news to me. I thought they were completely different. I thought they were. And now I'm like, I don't know, when did they mold together? Maybe they always have been. I'm not really sure. But I think now we've hit a point of like, wow, I really am the same online as I am like in the world, except for like, I'm, I'm also like a hyper introvert and I don't think people realize that right away. Same. I'm like a really intense introvert. Um, and I don't come off like that online because I'm like, well, the internet is how I dealt with being such an intense introvert who also has so much to say. Yeah, same. The internet to me is um, creative expression. I'm a totally, totally uh, an introvert as well. My friend Schwan says I send YOLO tweets. Um, that's the first time I heard that. I'm like, what's a YOLO tweet? He's like, I just, I don't get how you get away with what you do. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just like saying hi to who I want to say hi to. He's like, no, people don't talk like that. <laughs> I had a, tw- I had a tweet this week. I don't even remember which one it was, but I did send it to a CEO first. And I was like, am I allowed to post this? And he said, absolutely not. Actually, I said, am I like, can I post something petty? And he said, always. 
And then I sent him a screenshot of what I wanted to post. And he was like, absolutely not. And then I sent him a link to after I posted it. And I just said, (laughs) YOLO. (laughs) Like if you look up the word YOLO in my text history, almost all of them have a tweet attached to to it where I've like then sent it to a friend and been like, well, we're going to see how this goes. Amazing. I love a yellow tweet. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you for ages. How can people connect with you? Obviously, Hawk Girl and Tech. What is the best way to connect with you? I'm Hawk Girl and Tech pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, but I mostly just reply on Twitter. And if you had like one ask of our global community, um, something they could we could do to support you in your success, help PGPay accelerate forward, what would that ask be? Yeah. I mean, I think for like actually accelerating PG forward, uh, we have a refer your providers page. We see that providers are really receptive to offering PG if their patients ask for it. So that's one. But also since this is like LA podcast, if you're an LA founder and you want to like know each other, like just reach out to me. I have a fire pit. We talked about this before. Um, I have an office that you can swing by and we can like drink a cup of coffee. And I'm starting to see the value of like reconnecting with people in real life. And I feel really lucky to like have a space where I can like facilitate that wall. So getting to know other people in the space in the city. Amazing. And go ahead and spell peachy pay for everybody. So yeah, he has the URL. P e a c h y p a y dot com. Perfect, Lex. Thank you so much for hanging out with Yay. the Women in Tech podcast. You are just beyond inspiring. Like it's crazy to connect and collaborate with more amazing women in tech around the world. Remember, go to the Women in Tech community at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys. Talk to you guys. Hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye, everyone. This is Lex Euler, founder and CEO of PT Pay. We help make the patient experience better when paying medical bills. I am based in Los Angeles and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL, Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.